is Operation Red Pill. The only podcast hosted by Truthfully Armed, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories to the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host, Christopher Dean. Let's do it. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix, as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Modesty, how much coverage is enough for your assets? Does culture encourage provocative dress as a means of sexual freedom, or is immodest dress merely the grave clothes of a decaying culture? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Bill. Welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories to the heart of the conspiracy itself. Christopher Dean. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm. It's, it's the middle of summertime right now, and I'm telling you what, bro, we got some stuff we got to talk about today. All right, let's do it. We, sir, find ourselves in a very precarious position right now. Okay. We happen to be in what has affectionately come to be known as sundress season. <laughs> Are you familiar with the woes and trappings of sundress season? Um, I wasn't before I met you. Well, that sounds woefully incriminating. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I didn't know there was a, a whole name associated with, with it and all of that. But you were familiar with this whole thing of a sundress, correct? I will say... That with an analytic eye, I was able to recognize the subtle shifts in attire that happened among specific gender groupings in our society as the temperature changed. Yes. You know, I I can't help but notice how you put that. (laughs) I I think it was extremely carefully. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I I can appreciate that. (laughs) I really can, because this is a subject that's a, a little touchy. Yeah, for and sure. I think if if we're gonna have this conversation about modesty, I think there's a a way to have it. I don't want to have it like we're sitting at the front on the front pew of church. True. Okay, but I also don't want to have it like we're sitting at the back of the pub. Somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. I think we need to have it as though Jesus is maintaining social distance. He's within six feet. He can hear. <laughs> But we ain't necessarily side by side. <laughs> you know, this this whole show, the, the podcast as a whole, is is really geared towards having adult conversations. Yes. yes. And I, I think that we need to have a conversation on this, but as adults. Right. And uh, for the for the Christian police out there, I'm going to tell you now, you might as well not even write me a ticket. Just hand me the book. <laughs> All right. You're not going to be able to write enough tickets for whatever I'm going to say on this show. Yeah. I got already tell you. So just sit back, uncross your arms. You don't <laughs> have to scowl. I already feel it. I already know it's going to happen. In fact, I think my mother listens to this, this podcast. <laughs> I'm still going to say what I got to say. All right. And can nobody give you a more incriminating scowl than your mother? Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Right. So, so if I say it, knowing she'll listen to it. Y'all going to be okay. Right. But no, you're right. There definitely tends to be extremes on both sides. And that's the norm. That we're either so closed-mouthed about it that we we fail to address modesty right. in the church. 
or we're just so loose-lipped about it, it doesn't carry the reverence and respect that it should. Yeah, and there's also a, a tendency to be highly legalistic. Yes, that and is true. Definitely, I don't want to encourage that. I'm, I don't think we want to. I don't think we want to try and establish um, clothing standards per se. Right. For individuals, you know, people need to work that through for themselves. But I think there is a much larger, much more interesting conversation to have about modesty than what I find is typically had. No, I would agree. So we've already talked about this this provocative lure called a sundress. Yes. And you know, as soon as you, you get into talking about it, there's a certain sense that you're going to get in trouble. Wait, should we? do we need to have a disclaimer for this episode? As in? Well, just like... You know, we've had a couple other episodes with content that might not be coming for young ears. I don't know if that's the right Oh, for phrase. sensitive listeners? Yeah. You know, I always think about that after the fact. So, <laughs> oh, by yeah. the way, if you listen to this with your children. Sorry. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, this might not be the episode for young kids. Right. And for sensitive listeners. But if you grown, it's definitely an episode for you. Right. Absolutely. So getting back to it, this Sorry. is the fourth time I've had to reference sundress, <laughs> trying to get over this hump, no pun intended. Um, they are an interesting product. Okay. There's something very, very captivating about seeing a, a female, a, <laughs> a, a, a standard born female okay. from the womb in a sundress. Yes. All right. Something that says I am woman. See me and cry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get it. And it, it it's it's interesting, dude. There's um there's something that happens as as a <laughs> be careful how I say this. One of the things that we're taught uh, where I work is about it's very very safety driven, right? Okay. And so no pun intended because I am a driver. But one of the things that they push are the five keys of the Smith driving system. And if no one's familiar with that, it's basically this safety oriented system on how to operate a vehicle, not necessarily a commercial vehicle, but any vehicle safely and highly efficiently. So it's got five basic keys to it. Aim high in steering, get the big picture, always keep your eyes moving, make sure they see you, leave yourself an out. So when you're doing those, you keep your eyes moving a lot. Yeah. Right. It's, it's designed to help prevent you from operating a vehicle in a haphazard way, an unsafe way. Okay. So you're look you're doing a lot of things. You're looking up the road, you're keeping your, your eyes moving, you're scanning your mirrors. You're looking ahead of you to make sure that there's nothing in front of you. You don't check one mirror and go right to the other one without scanning right in front of you. You're mm -hmm. always aware of your space cushion around you. You know, you need to be aware, especially in front of you driving a semi truck, what objects are there. But you also need to be aware of what's next to you. Yeah. You know, are the lanes clean or dirty? You know, you got to look at what stuff's coming up the road. Are you approaching an intersection? They teach you to pay attention to whether or not the lanes are clean or dirty? Absolutely. Now, what that means is, is there an object in your lane? Okay. I was like, dang, that's a whole nother level of training. That's right. We, we call ODOT. How dirty is the road? Are. That's right. <laughs> Avoid that that little oil stain because we don't want that on our truck. That's poor brandy. Yeah, can't do it. But here's the thing. When you get used to actually moving your eyes that much and being aware of your surroundings, basically it's situational awareness. It's pretty yeah. much what they're teaching you. Okay. So you become rather observant. Yes. There's a lot of things you start picking up on. One of the weirdest things I picked up on is the fact that there actually are road signs. 
<laughs> you didn't know that there was road before signs before becoming a truck driver? No. <laughs> I really thought every somebody came out on this training route that I was on and put road signs on. I was like, this was never there as a regular driver. That's funny. Never paid attention to a low bridge warning. Wow. You, you don't need it as in a car. Okay. You know, you see something that says 13 six and you're like, I mean, okay, I guess 13 year olds and six year olds play here. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Keep moving. Yeah. The only, the only street signs that I really paid attention to was the, the curve ones. Okay. Cause on a motorcycle, it lets you judge how fast you need to hit it. So like okay. if it's a, I'm incriminating. This is just an episode of, in, of incrimination. So if it says 35, you know, you're probably good to hit it. It, it maybe twice that. <laughs> well, see, what's funny is you can't do that in a truck. Right, you can't. So when they put that speed there, that is really a do not take this turn faster than this. Right. Else you 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 risk tipping over. So it's really like get your speed down to this and, and then you'll be safe so you don't figure out how fast you can take it. Right. But but and as a motorcyclist it also helps cuz it really it really does give you a general parameter for the turn and and how to go into it. Right, right. So here's why I bought this up. <laughs> because you're out on the road and you you become very observant, you see a lot of things. A lot of stuff, some stuff that you can't unsee. Yep. But then you see some funny stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like I saw a dude who was drunk on a bike on, on the intersection facing me. And he was so drunk that while he was waiting on the bicycle, he fell over into the car next to him. Wow. And I wished I had it on camera because I was dying. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how you have that conversation <laughs> with the driver. <laughs> you just hit my car? I mean, technically I fell into your car or your car fell into me. I don't know. <laughs> You know, you see, you see a lot of stuff. One of the things that I love seeing is when I see a driver and a car that match each other. Okay. And it happens. You see someone who's picked a vehicle that's an expression of their personality. Yeah, I've seen it. Right. And they're kind of just doing their thing. And you're like, I like. That's really cool. Yeah. The other thing that's really nice is when you look over and you just happen to see a beautiful woman. It's a nice surprise. In the car, doing her thing, maybe sipping a Starbucks, you know, probably riding around and I don't know, an Acura or whatever, got a little MDX thing going on, (laughs) driving around, got her Starbucks and just casually sipping on it on her way to work. And you're like, all right, life is good. I like it. It's almost like seeing a leprechaun. You were not guaranteed to see something this beautiful today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, It's a wonderful thing, but it got me thinking, what is it about how God has created the the male psyche where we seem to appreciate these things that I don't think women realize we appreciate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. I was coming, I was uh, going down uh, 670 and I got to where Columbus State is and I got off on on the exit and it takes you underneath Columbus State if you're on Cleveland Avenue, which is where I needed to turn. Okay. And I've got this, 53 foot trailer behind me about to make a tight turn. That turn is, it sucks because it's a blind turn. You got to stop because of the support structure of the highway, the overpass Uh can't really see what's happening. Most of the traffic comes up pretty close and then you've got to make this tight left turn. And here I am down on campus. This lady comes up right to the stop bar and I've got 53 foot of behind and I'm bringing through this intersection. Okay. And I come through and go straight. My company teaches us to go as far deep into the turn as we can before we execute our turn Mm -hmm. so that we'll clear the apex. Right. 
I do that. And I, I go as far as I can and I turn hard and I see her. She looks up for whatever she was doing and I'm already irritated because uh-huh. there's no cars behind her. <laughs> okay. You idiot. What are you doing? Okay, fine. I'm going to bring this trailer to probably within 10 feet of you or it's going to seem like it's real closer than 10 feet because 10 feet is pretty far. I'm bringing it up to about a foot before you realize you need to back up. I ain't going to hit you though. Because that's a whole issue for me and my employer. <laughs> right. And I see her looking like she looked up. And I think she was texting or whatever. And she looks up and she sees this huge trailer coming at her. Yeah. And I'm looking like any time now you can back up. I see the wheels turning. I said, <laughs> okay, she's thinking about backing up. Cool. So I, I don't have to be an a-hole. Uh-huh. So I slowed down and stopped. And she looked dead at me and <laughs> reverse. Okay. And she backs up. <laughs> And my whole demeanor changed. And I was like, all right, thank you. And as I'm making the turn, I'm looking over my left shoulder, making sure I'm clear, kind of happy I'm driving through this big old semi through the intersection. Like, yeah, I'm doing the daggone thing. Uh-huh. And I happen to look over, I see her and said, hmm, she's actually really cute. <laughs> huh. Well, thank you, Lord. Well, she wasn't cute No, she that. was an idiot motorist. <laughs> oh, I was so irritated. But then it cracked me up how quick that switched. Uh-huh. Once I noticed her in the car and, you know, I took a, it was a quick snapshot. She's in the car by herself again, getting ready to go to school or I'm assuming she's going to school. Got her little drink, but she looked cute. Okay. Cute in the car. I was like, I love it. Like you're cute just by yourself doing your thing. Uh-huh. That's awesome. That's a wonderful thing. I didn't want her phone number or nothing. Right. Just appreciated what she represented. Mm-hmm. I think that gets lost in our culture. It definitely does. I think they take it and they try to distort it and turn it into something else. Absolutely. Like the way God's created men, there is a natural attraction uh, to the feminine form. There should be. Would you, and I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. Could you describe it as like general attraction and acute attraction? That's actually, I've never heard it put that way. But I think that's a really good, unique way of viewing that. Okay. And I would say that it's okay to have general attraction. Right. You know, I think you want to get concerned when there's acute attraction. Yep. That's what I was saying. Right. That's when we <laughs> got to have a conversation <laughs> off to the side. Where's your eyes going? Yep. But yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I'm kind of reminded one of our uh, really good friends was telling me about how he met his wife. Okay. And I guess they were, they were uh, at an establishment. <laughs> and uh, she walks up to him. I believe she's wearing a uh, a John Deere shirt that that has a a deer on it. Okay. And uh, he looks down, likes what he sees, but being as quick witted as he is, says to her, "Nice rack." <laughs> and she almost, from what I understand, cocked back to to sock him straight in the face uh-huh. until she realized what she had on, which was a shirt. With the deer on it uh-huh. and the antlers and realize he's talking about the deer, but he's making a double on top. Right, right. And she kind of gave him that wink like, okay, you smarter than the average bear. I'm going to let that one pass. <laughs> Don't make no more. Right. But to this day, he constantly talk about how hot his wife is. Yeah. Appreciates her form. In fact, that was one of the things he noticed about her. Now, I don't know women who get upset once they've actually selected a mate or, or have the attention of a guy they like. That's upset with the fact that he noticed these things about her. Okay. Prior to. Uh-huh. But somewhere in our culture, there seems to be the idea that you shouldn't be noticing these things. Keep your eyes off of me. 
But then our culture teaches you to dress in a certain way that draws the attention. Yeah, there's that. It's a very weird dynamic, right? It is very. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like you either got to deal with with turtlenecks or titty balls. You know, <laughs> there, there's no like in between zone. Right. <laughs> it's it's a difficult thing to navigate. Yeah, no doubt it is. You know, and I I realized growing up that I was not only attracted to the feminine form, um, I was enamored with it, which I think is healthy. Okay. No, my, th- my, my mom tells stories and I don't remember this. So I don't know if that, if that helps my case at all, but she said it like six years old, she'd take me to the pool and I'd be like, mom, she's pretty. She's pretty. I can believe it. <laughs> no, seriously. I can believe it. I mean, I've, I've heard stories of, of guys who have young children, young sons, mm-hmm. and they can tell when they're attracted to a, another, a female and not no weird, like, follow you home and stalk you kind of, but there, I mean, you're talking like a four-year-old or a six-year-old or whatever. Right. I remember when I had to learn how to swim, one of the people, I was scared of the water because jaws had just come out and I was convinced. And movies don't affect you. Not at all. They're, they're not designed to condition you in (laughs) any way. And I was convinced that jaws is in the 12 foot pool. Okay. Convinced. (laughs) There is no way you're getting me in this pool. You're not getting me in this water at all. Right. And so the whole day we were at a public pool and the whole point was so that you could learn how to swim. And you didn't get in the water? I'm in preschool. <laughs> no, I didn't get in the water until they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. All right. One of the people there said, pick any lifeguard you want <laughs> and, and they'll teach you how to swim. Okay. I kid you not, my seven, eight-year-old mind, whatever it is, surveyed. Every lifeguard there who were all females and found the prettiest <laughs> lifeguard I could. Since you said any of them, I'm going to make this worth my while. Found the prettiest one. And I felt like, I don't know if you ever seen Sandlot. Uh-huh. When Squints and Wendy Peppercorn, when he fakes drowning, so that she'll have to give him mouth to mouth and he gets a kiss. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Too cruel. She don't know what she's doing. She don't know what she's doing. Yeah, she does. She knows exactly what she's doing. I swim here every summer in my adult life. Every summer, there she is. Oily. Oily. And one day, it became too much for Michael Squints Polidorus. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I felt like Squints. I didn't have that whole <laughs> thing in mind. But yeah, I found the prettiest one and said, okay, her. And she taught me how to swim. What nice. was funny, you know, being older is realizing even back then, there's a psychological mechanism that God's put in place that affect both sexes. Yeah, absolutely. Even at a, a younger age. Mm-hmm. And there were things I can remember even growing up that had an effect on me. And I was really enamored by how certain things, even um, things that are, are a bit innocuous, can still have a pretty profound effect on you. Like things you wouldn't expect. Okay. Like, <sighs> I remember asking my dad one day, I was like, Dad, why do, why do girls' butts, like, you know, their waist, they jiggle? Why do they do that? Boy, you wouldn't notice that if you were praying. Shut up. 
Never got an answer. Like, I thought a screw was loose inside on the hips or something. Like, if you just <laughs> counterclockwise tighten that. It's loose. Right, you, you shouldn't be up. able to drop on, on that right step. <laughs> you know what I mean? I That's like, funny. I was like, you, we can get that fixed right now. A little <laughs> duct tightening. My, my hips don't do that when I walk. Right. I don't know why yours does that. <laughs> but no, once I got older, hip puberty and all, I noticed that different things, a bus line would affect me. Okay. Um, and one of the coolest things, and I think it's cool from the perspective of, again, how God has wired the sexes. You know, something as small as a nipple can have an impact on a person. Yeah. You know, in ways that you you don't readily think. Now, women do a lot. Some women do. They go to great lengths to cover that up because there's a, a certain decorum standard that they carry themselves at that they don't want everybody seeing that. And I completely understand that. Yeah. Given the the way that it affects people, I completely understand that. Right, right. But who would think something that small could have such a huge impact? But it, it does make a difference. It does. And I think, again, it goes to the way that, that God has orchestrated our wiring. And I think the same thing holds true for females. You know, I, re- I remember being out one time and a uh, girl I was dating at the time. We were at a, uh, we were at a movie. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and walked this, this high school kid, like basketball player, wrestler, whatever. Uh-huh. He walks in and he's got, uh, he's got sleeveless muscle shirt on, uh-huh. you know, the cutoff sleeves. Right. Right. Walks in and I swear this dude must've done nothing but butterflies. Cause all three of his deltoids were maxed out. <laughs> like I looked over and I was like, that's impossible. That's not even fair. I looked over. He's cheating. Absolutely. (laughs) I looked over to her and she was, mouth was on the floor. (laughs) Just mouth agape. And I don't think she clocked me looking at her. And I was like, oh, this is great. Because normally, (laughs) normally these tables are reversed. Uh You know, as a young lady just walked in and I'm sitting up there like, "Uh uh-oh. So I looked over and uh, she caught me looking at her. She said, I said, no, no, it's okay. Have 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 your way. Just understand <laughs> that should give you sympathy for what I have to deal with on a day to day basis. That's funny. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. The way that all this stuff affects us. Now, I don't think that it's accidental that dress is such a large has such an impact and therefore such a large focal point of our culture. Okay. Like there's a lot of emphasis that's being put into looks. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think that's inherently wrong. I don't think it's inherently vain. Okay. Or some people make the argument that putting a lot of time or effort into how you look is a mark of vanity. I don't necessarily think so. I don't think the Bible would would suggest that. You know, God's not necessarily a God of just haphazard put together. Right. You know, he's he's a God of order and there is a measure of beauty that's found in just in what he's made. I mean, there's a reason when Adam woke up and saw Eve, the very first words out of his mouth were, whoa. In fact, that's how she got her name. That's right. He saw, he said, whoa, man, you see this girl right here? So let it be written, so let it be done. That's right. Guy was like, good, good. That was a good observation. Her name shall be, whoa, man. We've been calling him that ever since. Oh, that's funny. But we get more in trouble for the whoa. <laughs> yep. Yeah, anytime we hit him with a well, you, my eyes are up here. I'm my bad. The way he's put together just caused a stumble. What can I say? You know, but there's a there's a huge emphasis and focus that's being put on looks 
Again, I don't think that's inherently bad. But like you said earlier, I think there's a measure of distortion that enters into that. Absolutely. You know, Alice Bailey said one of the things to do in order to eviscerate Christianity and Western culture was to make sure that art became depraved. Yep. Fashion is an extension of art. I don't think a lot of people put those two together. Yeah. Right. It, it is definitely highly influenced by art. In fact, it's probably what, what you could call a living art form in a certain sense. Yeah, I think so. But then that means that there's a measure of depravity that enters into that. And I don't, I don't think that it's any, any wonder, any accident that some of the most prolific uh, heads of fashion in modern times have also been people that were, were pretty deviant and steeped in debauchery. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that doesn't, that doesn't stay in isolation. That translates over into the products that are made. It does. Right. There's a certain, <laughs> that was going to be the wrong word. I don't know why. Jene de quoi was in my <laughs> mind. Just wanted to feel fancy. I did. I wanted to feel very French-like. <laughs> but there, there's a certain spiritual transfer that happens on products that are made, you know, um, and I, I'm sure there's a, a scriptural verse for it, you know, just like the one that says where your heart was it where your your heart. Where your money is, your heart will be also. Yeah, that was yeah. the one I was thinking of. OK. Um, or you become like that, which you watch. Uh huh. You know, whatever you behold, you become like that. That's why God is constantly telling us to behold him right. uh, and be careful what we set before our eyes. Likewise, there's there's a a in, I don't want to call it an inverted, but an associative law that you produce from what's in you. Okay. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You talk from what you put in, you know, you speak from what's in you. The music you produce comes from what you put in you. Right. Likewise, the products that you make to a large part are influenced by what is in you. And so if you're a person who's taken on debauchery and lasciviousness and all forms of sexual freedom and expression, and then you're responsible for fashion and clothing, you're going to make things that are either geared towards that, lead a person into that, or are suggestive of that. Okay. Yeah. By default. Right. Which then means people who are putting those things on and consuming them also begin to produce that. All it's right. kind of a vicious little cycle. It is. And that's why something like modesty is so important. I would agree. And another reason that I wanted to talk about it, <clears throat> excuse me is I have a, a relative that works in the school system. Okay. Sorry. Would this be your Aunt Betty? No. Okay. <laughs> but she's always coming to me with like the the, the current hot topic issues or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty ridiculous, the conversations that are happening, you know, amongst high school children. But one that keeps coming up and she thinks isn't isn't very well addressed in the school system is modesty. Okay. Even so much that like, the the rules for what the children are supposed to wear are so loose that depending on the teacher of the classroom dictates what they're allowed to wear. So she says that in a lot of times the the girls will wear will will wear multiple layers. So if they need to be well dressed, you know, air quotes going on, for one teacher they will be, but if they can go into another class and take off a bunch of layers of clothes because they have maybe a more liberal teacher, they can do that. And there's, Interesting. there's no overarching rule on this is how we behave in our school. Okay. And it was funny 
That's got to produce confusion. It's got to. But it also affects the character because then you learn how to become a chameleon. Yep. And just whatever standards you have to adhere to in the moment you adhere to, mm-hmm. looking for the opportunity for you to adhere to the least the amount. Least. Right. And it was interesting because she, uh, this family member is a Christian woman. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, how can they think this or whatever? And I was like, well, do you have a good answer for them? And she was like, well, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's part of the problem. Right. I said, there's not many. It seems easy. It seems like an easy answer or seems stupid what they're doing. But if we don't know how to address it, I don't, I, I think we need to check ourselves, you know, before we go uh, passing judgment on other people, if we're not even equipped to deal with this the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, it's that whole thing of, you know, don't just identify the problem. You need to have a solution. Right. Right. Can't just think critically. You've got to think analytically. Absolutely. So it's, it's in the school. It's definitely in the, the societal mind. Like right. we've got all types of shifts in genders and the way they're draped happening all over culture. And interest, not interestingly enough, but as we keep reiterating on the show, Guess what? Scripture anticipates this type of thing and has answers for it. So dress code in general, like if it's interesting that when dealing, when we see, especially the high school kids or in culture, these arguments on, well, I can dress however I want. It doesn't matter. It only seems to apply or they only try to apply it in these social settings, but in every, in in so many other places, our dress does matter. Okay. So like for survival, nobody that's going out to survive is going, oh, I can wear whatever I want. Well, no, there's reasons you should be dressed accordingly. I mean, you can, but you will suffer acute consequences. Right. Uh, formal dress, like there's even restaurants. I don't know if there's many around today, but there used to be restaurants that this is the dress code. If you dress beneath this, we won't serve you. Mm-hmm. It's because there's there's a standard. There's a way that it, that, that they function and it's important and is based off of, or not based off of, but the way that you are dressed makes a huge impact on that. Mm-hmm. Casual wear, swimwear, you know, they have different functions and it doesn't make sense to, now there's definitely a lot of room for variation, but I don't think it makes sense to go into any of these arenas and going, well, I can do whatever I want. I mean, he's even, even businesses spend a lot of money making sure that uh, their employees are in uniform because it's important how we're dressed. I would agree, but I would make what I think some might consider to be a provocative argument. Okay. And that is the fact that you know, when we talk about modesty, it tends to, to veer immediately into clothing. And then it typically takes another sharp turn and typically becomes about female clothing. Okay. And I think that's kind of, um, I think that's a problem in in our cultural understanding of both modesty and females. Okay. Uh, I don't think that provocative dress, just to use a overarching term, is unique to females. Okay. Males have the same issue. Our culture is not very strict on males about that, mm-hmm. but we still fall under scriptural uh, edicts and mandates on how we're supposed to carry ourselves. Right. Now, notice I didn't say how we're supposed to dress ourselves. 
as that we're supposed to carry ourselves. I like that. So that makes me think that how we dress is more than just our clothing. And our clothing is a reflection of our dress. Now, here's what I mean by that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. We used to talk about be careful of how you conversate, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us think conversation is just about the word usage. But if you look at that that term as it was used originally, it had more to do with how you carry yourself. Okay. How you converse, how you not just talk and speak, but literally how you behave overall. Right. Body language and all of that. Exactly. Dress is very similar. Very similar concept. Okay. So if you notice, like, in I, I, I find myself uh, intrigued and fascinated by the military, particularly Marine Corps. And they're very, all branches are particular, but the Marine Corps almost borderlines on OCD. I don't want to say anal because I don't want to get sniped. <laughs> right. Okay. But there's a certain measure of OCD quality that you're just like, seriously? I mean, come on. I was watching a documentary on making drill sergeants. Okay. And this was kind of interesting because they literally go to DI school and which is drill instructor school. Okay. And in drill instructor school, the candidates are treated on a rotational basis like they're recruits. Okay. Because they've already graduated basic training. They've already exemplified a measure of proficiency and what the Marine Corps is asking of its recruits. But now it's going to be elevated. You're hitting advanced status now. Okay. And so they're going to school. And because they want to be drill instructors, each person needs a they need time to practice being a drill instructor. And so you practice on your fellow candidates that want to also be drill instructors, Interesting. which is why they become the recruits. Okay. And they're going to end up getting yelled at the same way they just got yelled at as recruits in basic training. <laughs> okay. Okay. But they, it was kind of interesting. They had, they had them all kind of going through the, the motions and this is not so much to make sure that you understand how we want to do things in Marine Corps. It's more so, so that we can get the drill instructor candidate used to giving instructions as opposed to just taking them, which they've gotten used to from basic training. Okay. So you need to tell them things. So they were like in the, uh, they're in the head and which we would call civilians, the, the restroom. <laughs> all right. And, or is that called the latrine? Yeah, it's called latrine. The head is the toilet. So they're in latrine or whatever. And <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, general instructors going through and they're, and they're pointing out different things like toe jam, pop that blister. That needs to be cut. What's wrong with your nails? They're, they're looking at everything. They got them lined out in front of their bunks and they're going through inspection and they're looking at all parts of the person. They put them in uniform and there are particulars that have to be met. Things that we would think are completely asinine. Okay. You got your blouse, which is what we would call a shirt. All right. And the, the I don't know what it's called, a hemline or not a hemline, but wherever. The, the gig line? Yeah. That has, how do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> I like just that though. information coming from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> gig line, tell him gig line. <laughs> so that has to be right in line with the, the gig line on the trousers. Uh-huh. Square, can't be over just a little bit. Just a smidge, you fail. A smidge. Just a smidge. That's it. If, you're, if your shoes are not shine to the level that they want, you fail. Your belt buckle's not shine. You fail. Like they're they're going through with the senior drill instructor, and he's pointing out on these instructor candidates where they're failing. 
you've got two crease lines for your your line on the back of your pants. Fail. Jeez. I was like, two crease lines? I mean, I kind of got a crease. Kind of done cut it. <laughs> I mean, uh, come on. Don't you feel like you're being just a little too anal here? <laughs> I just got sniped. <laughs> or they're looking at their um, their ribbons. And those are supposed to be in a specific place on the brow, on the blouse, okay. on your chest. Uh-huh. Too low, you fail. Too high, you fail. Huh. Okay, now what is this teaching? Is it teaching OCD behavior? No. It's teaching attention to details and being able to maintain standards without excuse for failure. All right. Okay, so you're training character. And that's reflective in your clothing. How you dress yourself is really a measure, not of your clothing choices. It's a measure of your character. Okay. And the choices you make in the clothing, the clothing itself reflects that character. Interesting. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That's why I would say our dress is more than our clothing and our clothing is reflective of our dress. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Cool. I got nothing else. I'm gonna be quiet the rest of the time. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> but no, it's it's important, you know, especially if it's a an expression of our character, because we're communal beings. Like this whole idea, you know, going back to modesty, I can do what I want. You know, the issues or why we should dress a certain way is because we are communal beings. We rely on one another for a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> My hand's put, not up. Put your hand down, Jason. <laughs> uh, but no, we really do. In several areas of our life, we're relying on other people. Mm-hmm. And our interaction with them is, is important on how so our society works. Right. We're, co- we're codependent. And healthy navigation in this society is vitally important. I would agree. So another way to look at uh, the way that you dress would be from a marketing standpoint. Because Companies that function in a similar social setting, just on a, I don't know if you'd call it, it's really larger, but there's less entities. Like there's less companies than there are people. So, okay, right. Um, but they still have to look a particular way and interact in that social environment and with certain standards. Mm-hmm. So I guess one example would be if we take Taco Bell and McDonald's. Okay. Taco Bell looks like a certain, you know, they have a particular style, color scheme, whatever. And McDonald's has the same thing. Okay. Well, if you want to open up a McDonald's, but you dress it like a Taco Bell, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't be mad if people go through the drive-thru asking for tacos and not double cheeseburgers. I swear, dude. <laughs> I don't like doing this podcast. Why? Because there's so many corrective moments internally that I have. And one of them is, I think I have watched way too much Chappelle <laughs> growing up. I, or do we have a Chappelle insert here again? Yeah, this is a Chappelle reference. <laughs> okay, so Chappelle on uh, one of his, actually I think it was like his breakout stand-up comedy. Okay. Uh, Killing Him Softly. He was talking about some of the the hypocrisy in clothing or whatever. Okay. And he said, you know, it would be crazy for me, Chappelle, the stand-up comedian, to walk into Central Park with a New York City cop uniform on and then be upset when you come up to me. Oh, oh my God. 
Officer, there was a mugging. Hey, just because I'm dressed like this does not mean this is who I am. You can see it. You ever, you ever have this happen? This is how confusing it is. This, this is the practical application of what I'm talking about. Like a guy be out. This happened to a lot of guys. You be out at a club, bar, right? He's kicking with your boys. And, and a girl walks by. And, and man, she looks good. She looks good. Not good in that classical way. I mean, you know, I'm talking good. Like, she got half her ass hanging out her skirt. Mm. Her titties are all mashed together. Popping out the top of her turtleneck and shit. And you with your buddies, right? You with your buddies, you got a couple drinks in you. And you see a girl like this, you might try to talk to her. This might not come out right. I don't know what you say, but damn, look at them titties. <laughs> the girl gets mad and she, oh, uh-uh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just because I'm dressed this way does not make me a whore. Which is true. Gentlemen, that is true. Just because they dress a certain way doesn't mean they are a certain way. Don't ever forget it. But ladies, you must understand that that is confusing. <laughs> Just is. Now that would be like me, Dave Chappelle the comedian, walking around the streets in a cop uniform. Somebody might run up on me. Oh, thank God. Officer, help us. Come on, they're over here. Help us. I'm like, oh. Just because I'm dressed this way does not make me a police officer. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, all right, lady, fine. Fine. You are not a whore. But you are wearing a whore's uniform. I'll tell you that shit right now. Little misunderstandings can happen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh huh. He's spot on. Yeah, that's to, to your point. You know, these uniforms are important because when you were talking about Taco Bell and Burger King, I mean Taco Bell and McDonald's, I'm sitting here thinking about the cop. Yeah, because it would be confusing going to McDonald's and you see a Taco Bell uniform and where the heck am I at? Right, you wouldn't know what to do. Right, and there are certain expectations because if if I see the Taco Bell, you know, I I need a chicken quesadilla. I yeah. got a friend that's like all they eat. Taco Bell. <laughs> just every time they go, why can I get you? I'll be saying it with a chicken quesadilla. <laughs> fried on. I want it toasted on both sides. Well done. Thank you. I think they just hold the phone up and let me talk and order for them. That's funny. But you wouldn't expect that at, at McDonald's. Right. So I absolutely agree. Uniforms communicate something. Our dress communicates something. It does. I think that's vital for us to understand it. And... Just I'm gonna slightly touch on this. Okay. Our dress communicates something not just fellow man to fellow man, and I mean that mankind sense. Mm -hmm. It also communicates something to the unseen realm. Okay. And that's something that has to be considered. We can talk about that a little bit more later. Okay. But I think it's something that it, you know, put that in your mind. It's not just about the people around you. Okay. There's also something else going on behind the scenes. Interesting. I can't wait to get into that. Okay, good. But here, have you heard of heuristics? I have not. Okay, this is this is a little bit interesting. Okay. So heuristics, as I understand it, is typically used in like a corporate setting. 
and it's parameters that are that are pre-established that help the speed of business. Okay. So like if you're doing a particular business transaction or you run into, uh, I don't know, like issues for a business deal, it's almost like standard operating procedure that that anticipates the change or the 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 subsequent issues or steps. Okay. Um, and even though it's it's used a lot, it is recognized that it can be inaccurate, but based off of um, normal standards sounds redundant. But but normal based off of uh, normal interactions, uh, heuristics can be can help the the process of things faster, even though it might need subtle correction down the line. So I first learned about heuristics though because it's similar to how your brain functions. Okay. So if you, if you consider all of the information that you take in, it's really interesting how your brain works and scary at the same time. All right. I'm listening. Cause it does a lot of things without approval. <laughs> it, if uh, that's one way it could be phrased. Like on an automatic or autonomous level? Yeah. Okay. Like it doesn't check with you to be, for instance, just like short-term memory to long-term memory. It doesn't ask you, hey, what things should we... No, I wish it would because there's a lot that I wouldn't put in long-term memory. Right. And there's some stuff that I'd want in there that it just keeps throwing out. out. Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah. Ask me before you do this. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, sir. We just noticed that everything you've you've gone through today is... (laughs) Did you want the the double cheeseburger put into your long-term memory? Uh, Yes. That's why I ordered it. (laughs) But yeah, it, I lost my train of thought. I got double cheeseburger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. But no, so it does a lot of this. It's really weird. I have this memory of the passion of the Christ. It's not a tangent. It's a good example. Mm -hmm. I actually have a memory of the passion of the Christ. And in my memory, it's in English. Okay. And for anyone that knows, the Passion of the Christ was not Wasn't done in English. recorded in English, right? But recording an audio that I don't understand and the video for the clip and the text for the clip is a lot of information. So what my brain did on its own without asking me is it saves the video clip with audio that I'd understand and compresses that file. That's actually really dope. It's kind of cool. Like I said, it's kind of cool and it's kind of scary. I was about to say, there's a scary component to that. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And who's in charge of the algorithmic process? Right. But that's why there's tricks for studying because your brain works a certain way. You know, there's certain things that trigger that movement from uh, short term to long term. Okay. And heuristics is a way that your brain um, quickly processes information. Like it compresses those files. So okay. you walk out on the street, you've got all of these different vehicles, you have all of these different people, all these different colors, and threat analysis, conversation. It's way too much bandwidth for you to be able to process real time. Okay. So it takes your past experience and compresses that and allows you to navigate based off of societal norms that you've experienced without actually having to think. For instance, if you see a cop, you don't have to think, okay, if I need a public servant, what do they look like? They look like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And because that's a lot of unnecessary processing. So you take general attire of what a cop looks like or or a cruiser or whatever, and your brain goes, 
that is either something that I should slow down for or something that I should run to if I need help. Right. You know what I mean? So all of this stuff is compressed because it's way too much to process all the individual pieces. Okay. This affects modesty because there are particular standards and whether or not you are like the Dave Chappelle thing, whether or not you're a cop, if you look like a cop, people are going to respond that way because we're actually wired to save time to, to recognize those general principles. If you look like a hoe or a jiggler, right. People go respond that way too. Right. Or if you look like if you're dangerous, you know, if you don't look very friendly, you're not processing like, where's the person come from? You know, does it look like they have money? Does it look like they want to rob me? Like most of the time, those aren't consciously being processed. Your brain just says, Hey, that could be a threat. And you have an aversion. Is that why people walk on the opposite side of the street for me? Probably. It's a shame. It's because they're not, they're not consciously thinking about you. You know, it seems conscious. <laughs> it definitely feels conscious and intentional. Um, and it's interesting because the Bible tells us how, how to dress. Like it has some, some of these parameters and a lot of people are like, why does the Bible even care? You know, whether or not I wear blue jeans and it's not like that, but I think the Bible knowing how we're wired anticipates this because it's important to know, to be able to analyze threats. Right. Mm -hmm. And these, these differences are necessary to recognize even men and women differences. Like if I come out of the men's restroom with another dude, my wife's not going to think anything of it. I am. Well, I mean, not like holding hands or whatever. Oh, you didn't specify. In close proximity. (laughs) I come out of there with a woman right behind me. My wife's going to be asking questions. Yeah. You know, so, so there is there, this necessitates the importance of recognizing the, the genders and, and who we're interacting with. Right. So the Bible tells us that, that women should dress like women and men should dress like men. In today's culture, that's going to be a highly inflammatory statement. It It is, especially because, I mean, they already think that I've set it up as a false dilemma. Right. Or binary, whichever. Uh, but no, so the Bible the Bible says that he created us men and women and, and all of that. But that's not part, that's not part of all of this message. <laughs> that's for a different podcast. Right, right, right. But no, so we're supposed to dress to express the gender that we are. And like you said, the way that we dress comes from our character. So if part of your character is being male or being female, that should be represented on the outside of you. Mm-hmm. But that's just one guardrail. Okay. The other guardrail is <clears throat> to be modest. And I thought it, I thought it was really interesting in doing research for this because it's not, I've never heard it pitched like this from the church. Okay. You know, modest, it's usually, um, it's very legalistic, like you say. Right. So it's not women are supposed to dress like women. It's women don't put pants on and men don't wear a dress. Wait a minute. So we got the women with no pants on. Well, okay. my, my mind went left. You got to correct wear, this. Wear a skirt or a dress. My bad. Uh, okay. Now they're not just again. pantsless. Right, that's how folks are walking around in my head. <laughs> And then modesty is just cover everything up. Like, it's just these really, there's it's almost, far extremes. Yeah. It's yeah. really bad. But in looking at it, I, I really think that, that, that in the Holy Spirit's genius gave us two guardrails. Okay. Because without men dressed like men, women dressed like women, then the modesty piece can just go way overboard and everybody needs to be wearing a comforter. 
You know what I mean? Right. We don't need to see anything. <clears throat> but no, it says men dress like men. So this establishes that you should be proud of your masculinity or femininity right. and dress in a way that, that appropriately portrays that. Okay. However, that dress like a man, dress like a woman without modesty being applied, you could just be having it all hang out. Like, I'm a man, and right. I want everyone to know that I am a man. I'm, right. This is biblical right here. Right. <laughs> Completely not. Not. Right. But no, so I think it's really between these <clears throat> these two guardrails is where God wants us to function. Okay. Because there are different parameters, like, swimming pools or whatever that our dress does change. But within that, I think we should confidently dress to represent our gender, but do it in a way um, that properly, um, properly markets our character. Okay. I'm, I'm with that. Okay. Now I have an interesting question here. All right. Since we've gone down the trail of modesty being more clothing related, Okay. Do you think that when clothing was first introduced to mankind, that they were dressed in a modest way? I don't know. I would imagine that if God was the one that supplied the attire, it would have fit within his parameters. Okay, I, I would agree. But as a thought exercise, let's rewind back a little bit more. Okay. When man was first created... Was he clothed modestly? Mm. Man, you got me all messed up. Why? <laughs> I don't, it's just—it's an interesting thought. Well, how was man first clothed? Well, some some think that they weren't, didn't have any clothes, but that doesn't mean that they're not clothed. Right. Some suggest that they were clothed in light. Okay. Which <clears> I, <throat> I would lean more towards that. Okay. But scripture does say that the man and woman were naked and they didn't have any shame. Yes. So let's say that, that, that they're not clothed in light and they're flat out naked. Okay. Is nakedness the issue per se? I would have to argue from a logical standpoint, no. Okay. How would you justify that? Well, because the nakedness didn't become an issue until after sin entered. So I'd have to argue that sin would be more of an issue than nakedness itself. Okay. Awesome. And then if we're working our way forward from that premise, when God institutes, well, first before God instituted clothing, man tried his, his hand at it, right? Fig leaves. Right. The itch. You've had them. <laughs> that would explain that funny little walk you were doing earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, leaves. it just doesn't seem like they'd be very comfortable. Okay. <laughs> so so God corrects the problem, takes away the itchy fig leaves, and gives them what? Skin. No, they had skin. What do you what do you give them? Just skin in general? Animal skin? Yeah. Does it say of what animal? I want to say it was a goat, but I'm I'm not sure. Okay. So don't quote me on that. But definitely animal skin. All right. And the purpose was to teach what? That it takes a living sacrifice to cover sin, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, to atone for sin. To atone. atone. So the idea that you couldn't atone for sin yourself, okay. i.e. making fig leaves. Gotcha. So it took right. God stepping in to actually teach there need to be a covering and all of that. Okay. I think the point that may be missed here is that clothing is 
intrinsically tied back to salvation in Christ. Interesting. Right. right. The laws of first mention, the first right. articles of clothing. Interesting. Okay. So I think even moving forward, that should reclassify the conversation that's being had. Okay. And, you know, with people when they're talking about you need to dress modestly. I think that you can't separate it just to fashion standards, especially not as Christians. We have to remember that the concept of clothing is, is uniquely tied back to salvation and tied back to dealing with our sin. Now yeah. there's a there's a unique play here in relationship. If that's true, then what is it about revealing clothing? Because the point of clothing was to cover up. Right. right? That was a secondary issue. What is it then about revealing clothing that's being done on a spiritual level? That's being taught. What's the real principle? It's interesting to me that the more revealing the clothing, the more inclination there is to lead to sin. Interesting. Huh. You get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You, you get what I'm pointing at? Yeah. I think that that's uh, something that's got to be dug out a little bit more. That's fascinating. I've not thought of it like that. Yeah, I think it should. Now we're not talking about just should I cover up or should I not? How is this reflective of your salvation standard? Huh. And not only that, since I'm here, let's talk about the fact that clothing, like we mentioned earlier, doesn't just apply or affect human beings. It also affects the unseen realm. See, Paul talks about women covering themselves up, not because women are are just being singled out as though they're constantly running around provocative, but he makes a very unique statement about why they should have a head covering. Okay. And that was for the sake of the angels. Huh. You're like, that, okay, that doesn't make sense. I, I don't get, first, this head covering thing is stupid. Right. I don't like my women with their head covered. I like the hair flowing, right? <laughs> nice, long, flowing hair. Yeah, in the wind. Right, absolutely. <laughs> they, everybody got to be involved in a finesse commercial. So that's <laughs> what I to. need. They have to be. But it doesn't make sense unless you incorporate the events of Genesis 6 and Enoch 1. Okay. Remember, the angels looked down and were filled with desire for for human women because of their beauty and because of the lust of the angels. And so there's an opportunity for angels to be tempted still by, by, by feminine beauty because it's that powerful. I mean, women really do sit on, a, on an amazing gem. Yeah. Their beauty, I, I've always said, I think that the sexes have very unique roles and the way that God created them, very distinct. Mm-hmm. I think men get the privilege of embodying and demonstrating God's strength and his power. But I think women get the, the, the privilege of predominantly demonstrating God's beauty, his captivating nature. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You walk up on a beautiful woman, you could forget the entire linguistic <laughs> speech processing part of your brain can uh-huh. go offline. Yeah. I remember I walked up on a chick that was so bad. I I think I, I intimidated her because I almost swole up in size. Uh-huh. But I didn't realize how close I had gotten to her physically. I was just drawn. Okay. And she kind of looked at me like, uh, back up, bro. What, what's going on here? 
And I was like, I don't know, baby. I just, how you doing? <laughs> and it's weird how like subconscious some of that stuff is. Yeah. Like I, a woman's beauty can be so powerful. You, there's a certain measure of fear that it can induce. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, I don't even know how to say hi. <laughs> well, just go talk to her and say hi. Mm-mm-mm. No, because if I say hi and this doesn't go right, this beautiful thing that I can't stop looking at will leave. And then I'm just left with you. And I don't, I won't look at you. <laughs> I won't look at her. That's funny. There was one time at work, it was a, a male saturated, <clears throat> excuse me. That's not the time to pause. <laughs> a male saturated environment. Okay. And then this, this real beautiful woman came in. All right. And shortly after, I find myself standing up a little straighter. <laughs> uh, but I didn't even realize it at mm-hmm. first. I was like, what am I doing? What mm-hmm. is my, how'd my posture get fixed all of a sudden? Absolutely. And I'm like, that, it, it was almost unsettling. How much power they, the influence they yeah, have in I, the environment? I didn't think, oh, I need to look impressive and stick my chest out. It just happened. I was like, man, you got to be careful with this. You do. I mean, when you can turn the head of a person and not know them and they just go, whoa. And things stop. You know what I mean? The music in the room stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've got a lot of sway and a lot of power. You know, I, I think it's important to not getting off on the tangent of how much power women have. <laughs> you know, women, never mind. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot of power. <laughs> That's funny. But tying us back to what we were talking about. This all has an impact on multiple realms. Right. Multiple. Even think about the fact that the Israelites had to be covered or dressed with the blood of Christ when they were in Egypt. Their houses had to be. Right. See, dress, decorum, design, all of that stuff comes together. It's all part of this overarching idea um, that's important to realize that it's not just fashion related, but they do speak to different things. Clothing is not a, a man-made concept. Right. I was just thinking that, you know, there's several um, instances of Jesus' second coming, you know, being clothed in light or white robes or whatever. Right. Yeah, it talks about his clothing. So it's very much beyond just a human. Um, Which is good, because I was hoping in heaven everybody's not naked. Yeah, that'd be weird. I don't want to get laughed at by, by all the peoples in heaven. It'd be a lot of, nope, can't say it like that. Uh, <laughs> it'd be interesting <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm glad that there's definitely clothing that, yeah that's there to to cover uh that's funny but i think god understands that i think god's design is that way i think so too you know there's something about um from what i'm told by some of my married friends there's something about especially in a marriage context when you're with your spouse being able to take off layers of clothing mm-hmm. that speaks to the intimacy of the relationship. Right. Whereas if everybody was just butt naked, you, you wouldn't have that dynamic. That's true. But then it also means that, I mean, I don't want to sound like a prude at all. Oh, this will be a first. Go ahead. <laughs> but if you're going around exposing so much of yourself, are you either a increasing the estranged intimacy with people that you don't know or reducing what it is that you have to offer someone else? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it could be both of those. So, but here was something I wanted to say earlier. If this notion that is governing um, 
this, this doctrine that's governing the decisions of the world is based off of this idea of I can dress any way I can, any way I want to. Uh-huh. That sounds ominously similar to the Luciferian edict of do as thou wilt. It really does. Right. And I think it's an offshoot of that. I can dress however I want is really just I get to decide my standards. Yeah, that's true. Now, the world can do that. But as a Christian, we're not allowed to to do that. Right. We've got to constantly be looking at what what has been revealed in Scripture and what's consistent with biblical ideals. Right. And a couple of things that you can recognize to see that it's a uh, a satanic idea would be that it belittles the impact. Any any philosophy that's applied. So like this, like it's just clothing. It doesn't matter. I can just dress how I want. It looks like it's either reducing the impact or saying that the um, the the not not responsibility was the other word I'm looking for. The consequences of it aren't a big deal. Okay. That typically stems from a Luciferian ideology. Okay, I would agree. Because the Bible says, yes, it's important, and I've addressed it. Right. Right. So anytime there's kind of a belittling of it, we get, we should be, as thinking believers, we should be tuned into that and recognize where that idea comes from. We should. We should also pay attention to the the consequential impact of these ideas. So if we're talking, I can dress however I want, and we're in a culture that that advocates for sexual freedom, and so the dress is going to be reflective of that, right? Uh-huh. If the dress is reflective, not just of sexual freedom, but freedom from rules altogether, and then on top of that is beginning to be turned towards a blending or blurring of distinction, distinction, distinctionary lines, then it's starting to sound to me like there's a sort of androgyny being introduced into the fashion world to where there's no longer a distinction, a God design, you know, each after its own kind. Mm-hmm. So there's not a distinctively male pattern of dress. Uh-huh. And female pattern of dress. Okay. Because then there's a blending. It would seem like it's more of a Baphomet culture. Right. That's more geared towards a hermaphroditic expression. Right. Or tying even back to Einsoff. Well, that's where I was going to go next. Because okay. if fashion is associated with spiritual consequences or spiritual catalysts, then it would have to serve a spiritual deity. Right. Which we, you know, I established the idea that that's, that, that was done biblically back in the garden. Mm-hmm. Well, then here we come with this perverse idea that actually seems to elevate not just Baphomet, but then Einsoff. Yep. And I would probably, I would argue, I, I can't prove this, but I would argue that there's probably a very good chance that the people who are running the fashion industry now are part of that satanic, Kabbalistic, Luciferian order. Absolutely. I would agree. So, so it wouldn't surprise me. Right. So this comes back down to, you thought we were just going to talk about modesty. We've tied it to the new world order. <laughs> Quick. You didn't see that one coming. Not at all. <laughs> thought we was going to be turtlenecks and titty balls. And now here we are over here talking about Einsoff and Baphomet. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to recognize that Baphomet, again, for those who may be new uh, to the show, Baphomet is a, is a current deity who expresses hermaphroditic or androgynous characteristics. It is a blending of male and female. So it's supposed to be a male deity, but if you look at him, he's got female dre- female breasts. 
Right. And he's not suffering from glinoclamastia or whatever it's called. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, that's the thing where, where men have breast tissue in their body due to heightened levels of estrogen and all that. Okay. All glinoclamastia that or something like that. Yeah. But this, this is not that. Okay. This is actually having both male and female characteristics and displaying both of those. Right. And that's the push. The push is to blend so that you can't tell the difference. Right. And that is a direct attack against God's created order. It is. Who would have thought that our day-to-day choices are playing in a interdimensional conflict between good and evil and directly either attacking God or arguing for his standpoint? Yeah. Playing into the new world order. Just a little. Or, or holding on to God's traditional established order. Yeah, just a little. And, and to the people's defense, especially females, it might be easy to point the finger and say, well, you guys dress provocative, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. men are kind of funny about this standard. Right. We appreciate it growing up, but we will not allow our daughters to do that. <laughs> it's definitely double standard. For it sure. is. So your mother did it and attracted me, but you are forbidden <laughs> from doing this. Yeah. It's a funny little little thing. Yeah, it's amazing that just just in one generation you're already implanting cognitive dissonance. Right? And and not to mention uh hypocrisy. Yeah. Because most men won't even admit to the fact that, yeah, your your mom got me with that same bait. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, well, look, we made you and everything you have here. <laughs> but you, you have are to do forbidden it different. from yeah. doing this because because I know what these little boys want because it was the same thing that I wanted. Right. Yeah, absolutely absolutely. Mm-hmm. But no, there's um I almost lost my train of thought there. There is a, in the, in the defense of, of women, there is a push to restrict the options that they have. How do you mean? Well, sometimes they're not looking to necessarily dress provocative, uh-huh. but if and we're talking new world order, if these companies, let's say like old Navy Levi's um, Strauss, if we're talking uh, Forever 21, you know, all these big companies, if they really are owned by Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street, and they're on the boards, and they are um, influencing executive decision, uh-huh. then if there's an agenda to push provocative dress, and you own most of these companies to which where we think that we have choice, and really we don't, right? then you don't really have much option. Who's the mainstream big name outlet that you can go to to get some non-provocative clothing? Because everywhere I look, you know, this is something I've heard women say, everywhere I look, there are these pants that just don't fit me right. Huh. Either they're real loose, and they're too tight in the butt, or they're, or they're like loose here and it's weird. And this is like all I could find to pretty much fit me. You know what? I think that's by design. Interesting, yeah. It's not always. I considered that. That's what I'm here for, to <laughs> offer a well-balanced approach. No, I love it. It's great. You know, it's not always directly their fault. Right. Now, you, now sometimes they wear them in a way. <laughs> oh, oh, you knew what you was doing, sweetheart, with that. Yeah, yeah. You, you bought those low cuts for a reason. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you can't throw the entire weight at them as though it's their fault, and they're intentionally trying to just dress provocative and seduce men and make us all fall so that they can be empowered. Right. But there's even, like now that you mentioned that, there's stores that are doing away with like boy-girl departments and they're mashing them all together. Okay. Disney, after revealing that they do have a homosexual transgender agenda, agenda, wow, seemed like a lot of Gs in that statement. Uh, But now they're issuing a new clothing line. Hmm. So I think as thinking believers- Wait, Disney's? Yeah. Involved in a new clothing line? I believe so. 
That's weird. So as a thinking believer, if our opposition is concerned with attire, maybe we should be too. Absolutely. As soon as you made that statement, my mind jumped to, isn't that weird and equally fascinating? The company that's concerned with clothing my mind is also getting into the industry of clothing my uh, body. Yeah. That's crazy. Would have never thought the cartoons and thongs would ever mix. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we got to be concerned. I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, because I can quickly see that going south, no pun intended. Yeah. I mean, what happens if you start putting cartoon characters or things that, wow, yeah, that got dark quick. What if you start putting cartoon characters on undergarments? Yeah. And then what if you subtly begin to associate the sexuality that's been established with certain types of undergarments uh-huh. with the innocence of cartoons. And then what if there becomes <clears throat> a, an imprint of sexuality and innocence or ex- sexuality and youth? Interesting. Which seemed to be a nice little setup for pedophilia. Yeah. When you start blurring all these lines. Absolutely. Cause the Baphomet isn't just a mix of male and female. It's right. also a mix of human and goat. Right? Like a satyr? Yeah, it's a species mix, too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not just one line that they're trying to blur. There's all kinds of lines that are being blurred. In order to distort the the created order. Yep. You know what's crazy? This last 30 minutes is nowhere in the notes. It's not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who thought we would talk about that? No, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Because this isn't just a... Like a fashion... Fa- idea yeah that it actually has spiritual connotations right, right. and comes from a, a a luciferian place absolutely then we'll be able to see different levels of propaganda different levels of lies that that show up in different areas of culture right like for a, a multifaceted attack i guess well, well absolutely because again this this all comes under um the satanic control matrix you know all of this is is part of what he controls in his system. So fashion, you know, if you're going to step up and be a God, by definition, you've got to have control over everything. Everything's got to be about you. Right. You've got to have, like uh, um, uh, Al Pacino was saying, you got to have your fingers in the, in the trough, right? Yeah. you yep. got to be in all of these places because you got to have total control, make it all about you. Right. So there's no industry that's left unseized. Oh, that's good. I and, like that. Including fashion. Right. So no, fashion is not just this material humanistic expression of just what we want as human beings. Right. It is definitely infiltrated and hijacked and usurped by Lucifer himself in order to um, dismantle what God set up in his created order, but also in order to enthrone himself and set up his his order, you know, the new world order. Uh-huh. It, it's definitely a, a part of that. So I think that as 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 thinking believers, the competent Christian, I like that. That might be a new new phrase. Competent Christian. Yeah. All right. The competent Christian has got to understand and be looking for these uh, counter arguments that will probably distract a person from the real issue. Yeah. You know, you're going to start seeing these these side these smoke screens. You know, things like well this is really just a women's rights issue. Right. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Right. It's not just a women's rights issue. Right. Because women don't live in a vacuum. They don't. They're part of society. It's a societal issue. Right. Like you were saying, we're communal beings. 
Yeah. So this is not an isolated thing. Are you going to hear things like uh, if you think women should dress differently then, or particularly if you're saying that a particular style of dress is dressing in a slutty manner, uh-huh. then you must be thinking like a rapist. Right. I've heard that on social media. Okay. That something along the lines of she's not dressing like a slut. You're thinking like a rapist. Yeah. That sounds like, like a great meme that'll just walk. <laughs> right. But I was like the, the volatile nature of that phrasing is crazy. Like already we're at each other's throats. We haven't even said, hi, how are you? But this meme is like, all right, we're at, we're at odds on this subject. Right. It's crazy. You know, there's an idea that women should be able to wear whatever they want and expect men to behave a certain way. This one, this one bothers me. And this is almost the one that triggered me to want to do an episode about it. Okay. Because that's something. It was sundresses for me. (laughs) But the, (laughs) the conversations that were happening in the high school are just that. I should be able to dress however I want and have it not affect these people over here. Now, I, I will grant you, there is no excuse for misbehavior on any side. It doesn't matter how they're dressed. It doesn't excuse rape or molestation or anything. Right, provocative dress is not an <clears throat> excuse or justification for, for sexual assault right. of any kind. But that doesn't mean that we don't also need to address attire. Yeah, now I I do think though that that there is a personal accountability. Yes. To this, like nobody in their right mind would go into a shark infested waters with chum and blood all around. Right. And then go when I got attacked. Well, I should be able to bleed in the water. <laughs> right. And it not attract sharks. The the thing that bothers me about this argument is it doesn't seem to take into consideration the culture that we live in. Right. And our culture, excuse me, especially because we know BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard own everything. There's not healthy competition. There is marketing, which is propaganda. So we're being brainwashed from the satanic control matrix. And men are being brainwashed, and women the same, Mm -hmm. that when we see this type of attire, this is how you should respond. You should be turned on. Right. You should be turned on. And in fact, they use, I mean, sex and marketing so much. So we are being conditioned that when you see this, you act on it. You spend money. That's what those that are in control desire from the 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 useless eaters. Right. You know, those that aren't thinking. So then you have that happening. And then the people that are in it going, well, we should be able to do what we want and not have it affect. Like you don't understand the blanket of deception that is laying on the culture right now. Oh, absolutely not. Like you cannot be in a culture that is hypersexualized and then at the same time turn into a consumer driven mindset and then not expect people to consume. Right. Like consumption is not limited just to 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 goods. If you start objectifying people which a a a a uh, an oversexualized culture will teach you to do. Uh-huh. Then people can become sexual products. Yeah. And if you're already geared to consume products, you'll consume people. Dang. Say that again. I forgot it. <laughs> if you're designed to consume products, then you will consume people, especially if you've already sexually objectified them because you've made them a sexual product. That's nuts. And then if you're going out putting the wrapper of a sexual product on your body. Right. You've invited the intention, the attention of people who have been conditioned to consume people that are, that look like that. Yep. 
you know, it's not an isolated relationship. There, there's a, there's a, I want to call it an, an inverse relationship, but I'm not sure if that's the right phrase, but there's definitely an intricate relationship between the two that can't be ignored. Yeah. And those type of statements tend to ignore that. Yep. While at the same time, there are the, the rulers of the planet are producing things based off of a reality that's contradictory to that statement. Yes. That's it, the crazy thing. It's nuts. Right? We we <laughs> then then you got the the one that, that you're always uh that you're always looking for, which is gonna be the religious idea. Right. This one I think the enemy shows their hand in. Like, cause we say that they're Luciferian ideas, not to cut you off. No, no, you're good. Uh, but when you specifically address this, because when, when the world says religion, they don't mean religion. They mean Christianity. Right. That's dog whistle politics for, or dog whistle terminology. Right. For Christians. So they're saying that Christianity is oppressing women. Right. So it, like I said, I think the enemy shows their hand that this is clearly, if it's specifically attacking the Bible, and Christ and his standards. That idea is not as old as time, but it's it's creeping up there. Absolutely. And I think that all of this points to a much deeper reality that we kind of touched on. And we, we cannot forget the fact that not only is the new world order being worked out in order to be brought into full fruition, there are agendas that were put into play decades ago. Yeah that are now starting to bear fruit. One of the major ones was the one that was instituted by Alice Bailey. Yep. You know, how do you destroy Christianity? Her 10 point charter, right? Absolutely. You know, destroy the nuclear family and Christian values. But that wasn't the only thing that she said, you know, it wasn't just destroy the family and, and Christian values. It was also make sure that you make sex free. Right. Yeah. Or there's a lot that that goes in with that. Making sex free is part of uh, saturating the culture with sexuality. Right. I don't think it was just budgetary prostitution. Right. Right. And then promoting sexually perverse um, alternative lifestyles was another component of that. Yeah. Particularly homosexuality. Yep. But that was a stepping stone to transgenderism. And transgenderism is the the stepping stone to bringing in the Baphomet experience. Right. The, the antichrist essentially. Yeah. That, that's exactly what, what the goal is to be done. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember the United States now is the byproduct of the experiments conducted by the Frankfurt school and yes. the Frankfurt school is the institution to make a long story short, an institution that basically was founded in order to figure out how can you bring down the United States. And what they found was the way to do that, to bring down the West and Western culture, is you need to destroy Christianity, which is the basic framework of that society. Not necessarily of the government, but of that society. Right. And so one of the ways that they figured out you could turbocharge this was they came up with this idea called polymorphic sexual perversity. I can and, never remember that. I'm so glad you can. <laughs> I don't know why that sticks in my mind, but it was kind of like this, this really big phrase. And you're like, wait, what? Yep. What is that? <laughs> I've got Polly and, and morphs in there and we ain't talk about power Rangers. So <laughs> it seems real important here. Yeah. But this, this notion that anything goes, and this is a, this is a, uh, this is, is kind of the, the, the brainchild 
from Alice Bailey's idea of, you know, her 10-point charter, making sex free, destroying the nuclear family. Okay. This is really the, the tactician's way of how you bring that about. Polymorphic sexual perversity goes against all things biblical. And it literally is everything sexual is free, free to go, good to go, green light, lit, less roll. Right. Don't think about it. Just do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you get the free love movement and you get everything that comes from that. Not just the children, not just the abortion, not just the claim of overpopulation because of, of these types of things. Yeah. You, you get other things that are associated with that, including a industry that is designed to elicit the deeper, more sinful, the deeper and more lascivious and salacious aspect of the sexual nature of humanity that is not governed by the laws of the Bible or covered in the blood of Christ. That's good. Right? But there's a lot that can come out of that. Right. That's not just about, I got some holy jeans on, not H-O-L-Y. <laughs> right. But W-H-O. I don't know how to feel. I mean, how in the world you would spell that? W-H-O-L-E-Y? No, because that wouldn't be, that would be holy jeans. Like they're well, no, like holy, holes in them. holy together. Right. The W... Is for I'm definitely editing this part out so I don't sound stupid. <laughs> what would it be? Why? We left the whole me not knowing what pi was in the thing and not being able to remember that it's not Bravo, it's beta. And we're like, we don't speak Greek. I was like, man, I was yelling at myself in the podcast. Well, that's fine. Why do I have to sound? Because you can spell holy wrong. If I can make all those mistakes. <laughs> that's you, Socrates. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be responsible for I can't spell. I haven't had anything to eat today. Why bless your <laughs> But, you know, we got these holy pants on with, with fabric missing. <laughs> and uh, or, or you got you, you've got um, other sorts of provocative clothing on, maybe low cut cleavage. We've got arms out. You know, we've got things that elicit sexual desire from a person. That's not accidental. They've been intentionally designed to do that. Right. And then all the things that go along with that. It's, it's almost it's a baited trap. For sure. And all of this is being done to usher in a, how do I want to phrase this? An alternative Christ to usher in the replacement Christ. Yeah. To dethrone Yeshua, to take Jesus out of the equation and to enthrone and enshrine Lucifer and his um, replacement Christ. It's crazy, like as complicated as these topics get and as, as many deep dives as we can do with all the people and all the connections and how it's tied to Lucifer and all that, but the actual real live devastating campaigns that we see today that are part of the New World Order, that in a very real sense, that clinging to a biblical foundation is one of the best ways to resist those. Yeah, and you wouldn't, that's not intuitive. It's not. But that's really the, that's the antidote. Yeah. That's why the Bible is so suppressed. That's mm -hmm. why it's one of the first things that are outlawed in, in these uh, dictatorial totalitarian governments. You know, that's one of the problems with a communist regime. Not that capitalism is that much better. Right. But you just get higher degrees of control in a communist or socialistic environment. Right. And you best believe when, when maximum control is achieved, by the governing parties, they will outlaw the reading of scripture, mm -hmm. which means you daggone better have it committed to memory.
because you won't be able to read it. Now, that's a scary thought. That's one that I'm, I'm not that good at, at doing that. Right. And I still think I got time to read my Bible tomorrow. Uh-huh. Not necessarily today. Yep, always tomorrow. Right. And thinking of there's coming a time where not only owning a Bible will cost you your life, you won't be able to go back and be like, well, what did what does Scripture say about X, Y, and Z? Don't know. You didn't write it in the tablet of your heart. You didn't commit it to memory. Right. You had it in your phone. You had it on your bookshelf. You thought you could always go back to it. There's coming a time to outlaw that because it is, as you said, the the foundation that is the best way to resist the agendas being purported by the New World Order. Absolutely. Right? Yep, for sure. And in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so, Christopher, again, we've reached the point, as we do in most shows, where we probably have achieved maximum information influx. Yeah, especially with that, that left hook at the end. Right. They weren't ready for that. Nah, that probably caught them off guard. They weak need <laughs> right now. They're going to they gonna need some smelling salts <laughs> to get back up off the deck. Uh, but I think if people um, found the show interesting, I definitely want to recommend that they go and check out, you know, some other things that we have on our website, you know, truthfullyarmed.com. Mm-hmm. If um, people are listening on the mobile right now, you got your phone, whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. First off, thank you for listening. Secondly, Scroll down, go to the episode notes, scroll down to where it says show notes and additional resources. And you click on that, it'll take you right to the show notes page on our website where you can find some additional information for this episode. And if you happen to be on a desktop listening to this, great. Thanks for listening. We love our desktop listeners. Yep. Check out truthfullyarmed.com, which you're probably on. Just click podcast, go to show notes. And from the drop down menu, look for the broadcast date of this show. And you'll find link resources there for this episode as well. And hopefully we we were able to <laughs> we were able to sift through this information and and give it meaning, right? Yeah. Because that's always our hope. That's always our goal. It is. It's not just to provide data or, or information. I mean, you don't want data, but the thing from data, the difference is that data without meaning is pointless. It is. You gotta provide meaning and that becomes information. Right. And that's the Ayala effect. Right. Is that the, the part of the show where we make it a point to really drill past the concepts of what we're dealing with. And it could be difficult. Like modesty, you know, is it really just, does it matter if I wear wool or cotton? You know, that it's really much I more. I mean, scripture does say that. And I think somewhere <laughs> in Leviticus, it's like you're not supposed to mix two different threads. Right. You shouldn't have no polyester. <laughs> and you're supposed to put to death people, I believe it was put to death people who, who wore that. And it would kind of make God seem like he's an extremist. Yeah. Until you understand this idea of blending. Right. This Baphomet, Baphometian idea of blending distinction. So the distinction is, it disappears and you're left with um, a homogenous mixture of confusion. In yep. fact, literally you're left with confusion. That is what confusion really is. Confusion by definition is when everything is thrown together and you, there are no distinctions, so you can't make sense of anything. Interesting. It is con and fusion. So with fusion, everything together. Interesting. That's that whole Mebian technique. Nice. Looking at the definition of the word. I like that. Yeah, because if you just if we just put this show out there and take your hope away and leave you with nothing but confusion, all people are going to hear is this. La, 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 la. And we don't want that. <laughs>
We don't. That is absolutely not what we're here for. We're here to actually help people make sense of these complex ideas. We're here to help do the hard work of, of drilling down and, and dismantling some of these complex notions and then pointing out where the real error is, pointing out where the spiritual termites are, if you will, that are just eating away and trying to erode the foundation that God has said, hey, build your house on this. And so they give us these false ideas that really crumble under the weight of life, can't withstand the pressure. You know what I mean? So here's the ideas that we're, we're trying to really cover today and, and get home. Does culture really encourage provocative dress merely as a means of sexual freedom and sexual expression? No. No, not at all. <laughs> not, I don't even know what we're talking about. The answer is unequivocal. Yes. Yes, it encourages provocative dress as a means of sexual freedom, but that's not the only reason why. Right. You know, is a modest dress merely the grave clothes of a decaying culture? Absolutely. Yep. That's where you go back to Genesis 6. That's where you go to back to Enoch 1. Where did this type of stuff come from? Enoch actually records that the angels taught mankind, particularly women, the art of seduction. That is a spiritual art of, of witchcraft because it's an art that's based on control and manipulation of a person. That influences fashion today. Fashion is designed to be seductive. Yeah. On, on multiple levels, there is a certain measure of... Mm. <laughs> and it's designed to excite the lust of a person. Now, people do have personal responsibility to control their lust, to control themselves. But that does not excuse the fact that dress nowadays is being used to excite that in both sexes. Yep. Again, it's not just this is not a female specific problem. Mm -mm. This is being done across the board and it's being done as an outworking of a spiritual war. That's absolutely imperative to understand how we dress day to day. One of my friends I was working at uh, I was working at Huntington, Huntington Bank. Okay. Working at their call center and uh, up there in Easton. And I met one of my good friends. I think I mentioned him on another podcast, Philip King. Uh -huh. And I'm running around and uh, I happen to have a, a button up shirt on, but I had like the top two buttons undone. Had okay. a, I had a little wife beater on there and my three chest hairs. I only got three. All right. Three was out there. <laughs> and I was proud. And I came around the bend and Philip pulled me aside and my big brother and he said, Jason, what are you doing? So what are you talking about? I'm on my way back from break to my to my desk. I ain't talking about where you're going. What are you doing dressed like that? Why is your shirt unbuttoned? Phil, what are you talking about? It's just, I'm just popping my collar, baby. <laughs> Felt like Riley from the boondocks. What up? What the? Now, before you start hating, ask yourself. Be honest. Ain't I'm clean, no. Hey, get off. raise up off my gear. I'm saying you ain't had to ruin my shirt like that. I can't even pop my collar no more. Can't you just be happy to see another nigga fitted up, looking dipped in butter and shining and glistening? <laughs> man, Philip started hating on me. He snatched me aside. Told me, man, you don't be running around here with your, your shirt open up here trying to stir up females. Lust, what's wrong with you? That's what he said? He did. He pulled me aside and really read me to write. But it was really funny, one of the things that he said. He was like, I train my boys. We have this song. And it's about his last name is King. So the King's men, they button their shirts all the way to the top. Do the doom, doom, doom. <laughs> all the way to the top. 
And I'm like, that is so corny. <laughs> I love it. No, because it's stuck in my head a decade <laughs> later. I'm like, oh, so I'll be getting dressed now. And I'll probably stop at my normal place. I'm like, that's good. And I just hear this dude over my shoulder all the way to the top. I'm like, I am not getting up here <laughs> in Adam's apple. I don't care what you say. You ain't here to karate chop me. Oh, that's awesome. But he's inst- he was instilling standards mm-hmm. because he understands, look, we're in a war and our dress is more than just our clothing. Right. Our clothing is reflective of our dress and we have to dress ourselves uh, with biblical standards. We have to dress ourselves consistent with how the Bible tells us to, right? Uh-huh. So that raises the question. <clears throat> now we got all this information. Now we, we got, quote, unquote, our marching orders. At least we see what the problem is. Uh-huh. What can a person who's identified that listen to us talk for the last hour and a half about modesty and then tied to the New World Order and then we got some double boobied goat god that's <laughs> out here <laughs> trying to make everybody into she-men and men-she's? This whole she-man thing is, is a real Real issue too, because I noticed Marvel is moving in their their next phase uh-huh. to to pushing that whole agenda. Really? Yeah, there's a whole lot of She Man crossover type stuff. Interesting. Like you got Thor, Love and Thunder, yeah, the female comes and takes over. You got She Hawk that's coming up. Uh, oh. There's a couple other ones that that was pointed out on one of these YouTube ones that we were we we're looking at. And again, Marvel's owned by Disney, so that's a Disney push like they already said, to have more transgender characters, but to push transgenderism. Right. This stuff is, is is not accidental. So a person that's looking at that, they've heard us talk about all of this stuff, and maybe they're they're sensitive to it in the sense that, okay, I get it. You, you've identified this stuff, but here's the million-dollar question. What can we do? That's a good question. Right. I'm what glad would you, you asked. Say? Well, I'd say that you got to know three things. you got to be familiar with the war doctrine. You got to know the Bible's counteroffensive strike package and you got to know the rules of engagement. Ah, I like those three. Yeah. So if you want to be prepared, that's it. So let's help them out, Jason. All right. What do you got? So the war doctrine tells us that we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Right. What is that? Romans 12, two Romans 12, two. Okay. So in all this discussion on this is where we are as a culture, this is what we can dress like. This is what we, mm mm. We're not to be conformed to the patterns of the world. Well, then how do you avoid being <clears throat> being conformed? Because I, I find it interesting that there are three enemies traditionally that a Christian is, is told that we face. Okay. We face ourselves, <clears throat> you know, our flesh. Right. Our, our individual fallen nature. We, we, we face the world, and then we face specific spiritual entities. Uh-huh. And it's interesting that all three of those have a specific request. The okay. flesh says, please me. All right. The world says, conform to me. And the spirits of wickedness say, worship me. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And so I think it's it, it's not lost on me the fact that we're told specifically, do not conform to this world. We're also told, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh <laughs> and that you're supposed to have no other God before me. Right. So it answers all three of those. It does. But here in particular, we're dealing with tier two. Right. Do Second tier conform. enemy. Do yep. not conform. And you do that by how? Well, the Bible's counteroffensive strike package tells us Deuteronomy 22 5. I'll paraphrase here. Okay. Women dress like women, men dress like men. But I like wearing <laughs> a high heels and a woman's thong. Makes me feel alive. We didn't ask you to dress according to how you feel. We ask, we're telling you 
to dress according to what you are. But where I've grown up, I grew up around a lot of guys and I'm just more of a tomboy. So I feel more comfortable, you know, just having on these types of things just where I grew up, you know, may put a flannel on and, and a couple of, you know, my brother's jeans. I mean, they fit. Doesn't matter. Did I, I just heard in my head, the office Stanley's like, did I stutter? Right. <laughs> no, you have to dress to properly represent your sex. Okay. And then second, the other guardrail here is, <clears throat> uh, what is it? Colossians three twelve, that as God's chosen people were supposed to be clothed with humility. I think that's really good. Now, a person might not understand. We're talking about modesty. Where's humility come in? Mm-hmm. And I was talking, me, me and the Lord were talking about this earlier. And one of the things he hit me with was that humility is kind of like a spiritual vitamin. And when it goes into the body, it produces certain things. Okay. One of the things it produces is modesty. Interesting. Because humility is really geared at not drawing inappropriate attention to yourself, but making sure that all attention goes back to the Lord. Right. Because right. we're at, we're doing the Lord's work and serving other people, even in how we dress. Absolutely. And it's got other aspects to it. Right. You know, but that's one of the things that counteracts pride because pride is about drawing inordinate attention to yourself. Right. And humility is about not drawing inordinate attention to yourself, but in turn, drawing attention to the creator who should be the spotlight. That's a good point. Well, if you're clothed in provocativeness, where does the attention fall? Right. Who's getting the worship? Right. Or who's at least just getting the attention. I don't want to go all the way to worship. All right, my bad. My no, bad. but that's, that's good. Cause some people do, but even if we're, let's say we're not, we're not struggling with worship uh-huh. or the other person, but just attention. Yeah. Who's, who's getting all the unnecessary attention. Yeah. It's a good point. When them cheeks is clapping together under the sundress, where is your, is your thank you? Well, some men are probably saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, everybody loves Kate. Right. <laughs> Right. But but if you're clothed in humility, then you're not looking for things that draw that type of attention to yourself. Right. And I think that's very, very important. It is. It's interesting that we get dual armament here. How do you mean? Well, we get we get two arms. One, oh, right, right, right. Run is, is make sure that you wear gender specific clothing. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is what you do clothe yourself, clothe yourself first in humility. Remember, the spirit is what is superior to the natural order. Right. And so how you do things spiritually influences how you do things naturally. That's why he doesn't just start with, well, make sure you got two socks on, color matched. and <laughs> Right, because it's not about that. No. And we've got to keep in mind that we're in a spiritual war. Right. It's not just, it, we're not in a vacuum just in society. We're communal beings there, but we're also not in a vacuum spiritually. Absolutely. We interact with the spirit realm and unfortunately, and it, it interacts with us. Right. You know, it's it's war. We can't be out here parading around like we're not in a war zone, you know, just acting like nothing we're, matters. Right. We're safe. I can do what I want. There's no consequence. Right. Acting like we're still in Kansas. Right. When the truth really is. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence. Every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. 
Man, I don't know what a jujube is, but I don't want to be one. No, nah, I don't want to get eaten <laughs> nowhere near like that. I just wish we we could get uh, I forget that actor's name, but we could uh, Chris Stephen Lang, I think is his name. If we could get just get Stephen Lang to say spiritual rules, right? Instead of Pandora rules. Yeah, if I could just in that same <laughs> tone, I'd be set. If anyone listening knows him, maybe well, just ask him. See if just, he could just record him. Say, hey, Stephen, can you please say spiritual? <laughs> but say it like when you were on Pandora, right? The same tone, yeah. And, and just send that to us, and we'll patch it in. We'll do all the work. Oh, it'll be dope. Trust <laughs> me. Even, even Stephen will like it. Yeah. But I, I love that point. There are rules to engagement here. Yeah, there are. And rule number one is educate yourself, but not like the can't leave a library type. Well, sometimes when you say educate yourself, it's just you're a bookworm. You know, the oh, socially awkward. You. Yeah guy that gets a wedgie like that's not what we're talking about when we say educate yourself we mean be an expert in war doctrine right that's what it's about absolutely and that'll help you cultivate a strong mental aptitude For because sure. you're going to need that serving in a hostile environment right this is not child's play this like denzel said in training day the shit's chess it ain't checkers yep you know what i mean this is real world live fire exercise yeah and this is take no prisoners which brings us to rule number two. We can't cede any ground to the enemy. Now, what are you talking about ceding ground? Like, we're talking about Onan because I heard that was a bad thing. You, you don't want to cede the ground. <laughs> is, that, is that what you is, is that what you meant or not what you meant? No. Don't misunderstand. Don't give up any space. Like this Oh, is, not, not S-E-E-D, but C-E-D-E. Yeah, we actually had that confusion. <laughs> I'm just telling you, the English language is tricky. It's messed up. Right? But no, like, like if this is chess, not checkers, right. you don't give up spaces on the board. Absolutely. You don't. It just leaves you open for the enemy's attack. Right. Can't do it. And to help you with that, that takes us to rule number three. We've got to pray like it's all up to God, but work like it's all up to us. Absolutely. That is that is by far the most important thing that you have to do. Yep. You can't you you can't halfway do it. You can't do one or the other. Right. You can't just be up there praying all day and not doing any work because faith without works is dead. You know, at the same time, you can't just be doing all the work and not praying. You've got to have an admixture of both of these. That's what produces the fruit. We've got to understand that if God doesn't get involved in this, if he doesn't step in as the almighty, ain't none of this getting fixed. Yep. All right. But even if he steps in, we as part of the kingdom and as part of the created order that have been, uh, I don't want to say drafted, but inducted into his service willingly, we have already signed up and said we're willing to be used, which means we have to be willing to be put to work because that's in many ways, 80% to 90% of the work is done through the person, right? Maybe 10% of the time or at most 20 God's stepping in and doing these supernatural things. But predominantly he's given us this planet and he wants us, he wants to work through us to affect the change and frustrate Satan all day, every day. Yep. Right. Yeah. So one of the other things that, that people need to do uh, and uh, and educate themselves is, is look for multiple sources that you can that interest you. Right. I was thinking, like we said, educate yourself. Something that I was just thinking in my mind is like sharpening your weapons. I know this goes a little bit more old school than than our typical armaments. Okay. But like the the when you take in proper information, you're sharpening your mind. You're sharpening that blade. Yeah. Now, it might take a little bit of time. It's not super exciting, but it's necessary if you want to have fine-tuned 
instrumentation for this warfare. Absolutely. You have to be skilled with your weaponry. Yes. You know, whether we're talking bladed edged weapons and sharpening your mind, or if we're talking about, you know, if we were thinking about firearms, stack right. ammo. Yep. You don't go into a gunfight with 10 rounds, despite what Congress wants to do <laughs> with, the, with this firearms restriction bill. Right. Yeah, that's not a smart idea. Not a good idea. You need to have multiple rounds on end because, remember, you've got the the, the standard uh, secular war doctrine states that you have 30 seconds in a gunfight to establish dominance. 30 seconds. So you've got to fight and you've got to bring that firepower to bear. Yep. 10 rounds and just a couple scriptures ain't going to cut it. Nope. You've got to be stacked. And should you get into close quarter battle, you might have to pull out that edged weapon. Uh -huh. And every warrior knows that the, the most powerful and prolific weapon in your arsenal is not what you carry as far as knives, guns, sticks, anything like that. It is your mind. That's the most powerful weapon you have, which is why we say educate yourself. Right. And we, you know, the, the same idea holds true for agriculture or holds true for our mind is holds true for agriculture. Sometimes you got to rotate the crops. Yeah. Sometimes you got to rotate the sources. You know, you might be listening to us for a while and just be like, I cannot take another heavy episode from these <laughs> dudes. I, I don't want to know about what the new world order is doing today. <laughs> I just want to laugh. Okay. Hey, we get it. You know, maybe you need to educate yourself with a, with another source or go to another resource. Mm -hmm. And that's completely understandable. You know, good person to, to look at, truth unedited. Very good site mm -hmm. that helps to still ground you, ground you in this type of thinking. Um, uh, the, the, the Ted and Austin Brower Show from healthmasters.com. Wonderful podcast to get on. Not so secret societies. Absolutely love them. So good. Right. Definitely take a listen to them. Uh, and they'll, they'll help you laugh a little bit. They will. They will. Sheila Zelensky show is another one. Yeah. There are other resources that you can go to. If you're looking for a more comprehensive list, again, go to our website. And we've got a list on there under the uh, show notes page of additional resources. Uh, actually, we'll have it listed with this this episode. Yeah. Um, of uh, what do we call it? Um, auxiliary sources. Yeah. Auxiliary sources. And it'll be a, a more comprehensive list of different things that you can check out and just see what, well, you know, what tickles your fancy. Right. Or if you're, if you're looking for something maybe specific and you're not sure where to find, reach out to us. We'll help you. We'll try to point you in the right di direction to some good info. Absolutely. And we really won't charge you. The only thing that we'll ask you to do is share the show. Yep. That, that's one of the things that is, is critically important. It's not just because it's our show. It's important for us to share resources. Because this new world order is going to clamp down on information flow. And if we don't get in the habit of seeding other people's lives, and that's S-E-E-D. <laughs> if we don't get into the habit of making sure that we're getting this biblical-minded content into the, into the, the hands and, and, and ears and minds of other people, then we'll be playing into the hands of that system that wants to squash out all of the biblical content that it can. Right. And so we have to create underground networks. It's the only way to keep this going. Right. Got to do it. We have to share. I share with people. People share with me. It influences even this show. And you guys got to do the same. Get it out to your people. And contact us. Let us know. If, you, if you're looking for other content on different subjects, hit us up. Send us a, a DM on Instagram. Yeah. You can find us at uh, Truthfully Armed. Yep, Truthfully Armed. At Truthfully Armed. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Truthfully Armed. You can find us on Facebook. Guess what? At truthfully, truthfully armed. armed. <laughs> right. I think it's also important for people to realize that 
we're not, they're not alone in this. They're not. There were, there's like you said, we are a uh, communal beings and we're actually a community of believers. And we got believers all over the country that are, that are part of our family. And if you're the, if you're part of our listening audience, we consider you extreme extended family. Yep. You know, we pray for you. We pray for you at the beginning of the show. And we continue to pray for you throughout the week. This is why we say reach out because we, we like relationship and we're part of a community. But most importantly, you cannot forget no matter how bad it gets, no matter how intense the firefight, you serve a loving God who intervenes on your behalf. Yeah. And one day we'll be with him as a family, as a community. We'll actually get bodies that aren't broken down, minds that don't decay that maybe don't do things on their own and remember things we don't want to remember and throw stuff out the window <laughs> we'd like to keep. Right. And bodies that we won't be confused on how to necessarily dress them. Right. Because we'll be dressed to a divine standard. Absolutely. Which will be dope. Unfortunately, until then, we're deployed on this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission, people, and be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us, but we still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me, you take fire, I expect you to give fire. Now, I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you again out there fighting on the front line. 10-4.